Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, we're welcoming Jaya Saxena to read from their to free from her new book, Crystal Clear. She'll be in conversation with Helena Fitzgerald. But before I introduce them, I want to remind you that Skylight Books is currently open for browsing with limited uh, limited capacity, and we're still practicing uh, social distancing. So please bring your masks and stay six feet apart. But come on by; we'll be happy to have you. We also are offering curbside pickup and online ordering at our website, www.skylightbooks.com. So you have many ways to get books today, especially this book, uh, Crystal Clear. All right, well, Jaya Saxena is the co-author of Basic Witches and a staff writer at Eater. Her work has appeared in many outlets, including the New York Times, BuzzFeed, GQL, Electric Literature, Catapult, The Daily Dot, The Toast, and so much more. Check out her work online. She lives in New York City with her partner. Today, she's in conversation with essayist and friend, Helena Fitzgerald, who work can be found in Book Forum, Electric Literature, New Republic, The Cut, and so many other places. So look her up as well. Oh my gosh, I, uh, Helena, I'm so happy to have you. <laughs> Listeners, you might not know, but we had like a great conversation before this. And it's just, I'm now their official hype person. So I'm sorry, Skylight, I'm done. <laughs> We're, I'm out. I'm out. It's <laughs> oh, thank you for having us. Jai, you have a reading for us today? Yes, I am going to be reading um, a small little bit from the chapter in my book about Rose Court. So as a bit of explanation, Crystal Clear, it's an essay collection. Each essay is centered around the supposed properties of a different crystal, um, but I'm certainly taking a critical eye to them. And But yeah, just sort of exploring the sort of ideas and metaphors that we put into rocks just, uh, <laughs> listeners you can't see this but like she said rose quartz and it was like my favorite stone <laughs> i was like, <laughs> you know, I was like right <laughs> so um yeah i'm gonna be reading the rose quartz chapter or a bit of it and uh for people who don't know rose quartz is supposed to be a stone that attracts love and softness and motherhood and all of these sort of ideas um all right if you've ever been curious about crystals, you probably have a rose quartz. Unlike diamonds and pearls, which typically belong in the jewelry box and are worn purely for adornment, rose quartz is utilitarian. It's the starter crystal for any budding witch, ubiquitous in museum shops and magic stores. But even if you're not interested in witchcraft or metaphysics, it's an easy stone to dabble with. 
and is on the same level as reading your horoscope or getting a casual tarot reading. Even people who find these self-divinatory practices illogical can own a rose quartz and think, what's the harm? While other stones may promise money or luck or protection from some unseen enemy, rose quartz promises to fulfill the most universal desire, love, which makes it immediately appealing. Love is deemed a necessity more than a luxury, which justifies a pursuit by any means, but it's also never guaranteed. There is no direct action that you can take to obtain or maintain love, nothing that will make love happen. And when there's no other option for bringing love into your life, rose quartz starts to make sense. If you can't control it, maybe some unseen misunderstood energies can. I bought my rose quartz at House of Intuition in LA during a week long vacation between ending one job and beginning another. I was drained and looking for a stone or two to keep at my new desk to serve as a reminder not to lose myself, to work hard but keep myself happy, to remember that the whole point of work was to enjoy the life it could provide outside of work. I don't remember what the little card in the shop said about rose quartz, but on their website at the time of this writing, it reads that it's the stone of universal love, strengthens and balances the heart, brings comfort in times of grief, encourages forgiveness and invokes self-trust. I posted my crystals on Instagram after I bought them, saying the rose quartz was to protect my heart. I'm not sure if I would have bought it if the description used the language I found most other places. One website calls it, quote, feminine in tone and one of the stones of the great mother. Another says it imparts warm, loving, feminine energy. Yet another calls it one of the most versatile feminine stones, which you, you can use to honor your divine feminine. Even when sources don't explicitly call out the feminine, they say the stone promotes love, generosity, and compassion, and is supposed to aid in childbirth. It's not hard to figure out who this is meant for. While interpretations of crystals can vary from source to source, the rose quartz is always the stone of unconditional love. Its pink pale translucence is said to pull at the heart and fill you with light and softness, to remind you of your love for others and your love for yourself. It also carries a soft feminine energy as opposed to the masculine aggressive energy of other stones. Some witchcraft traditions have subbed in the words passive and active for feminine and masculine, but in, a, in a, but in a society that places those concepts firmly in a gender binary, we know which is which. Whether or not you identify as a woman or in any way feminine, to associate the binary of love and hate with any other binary assumes that love is naturally accessible to only some and requires a leap for others. Even the most generous reading of the crystal's properties which say we all have both masculine and feminine energies in us, still buys into the existence of a dichotomy. Rose quartz promises love, but it is only in the supposedly feminine way, passive, unconditional, existing vaguely in the ether, radiating an energy that inspires people to sing love songs about them. A woman offers herself up to love and reciprocates it. She is a vessel, ready and waiting to be filled and to return that love to all who expect it from her. All of these descriptions point to the feminine, and it is always the feminine side of any duality that is expected to sacrifice, to give without condition, and to absorb without resistance. Jaya, thank you so much. Um, I am such a big fan of this book, as you know. Um, thank you. And um, having had uh, the privilege of getting to read some versions of it along the way, um, that 
essay has always been one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, I love uh, hearing it every time. Um, so I have some um, more specific questions, but I wanted to start with, um, with just sort of looking at it. Sorry, my cat is sitting on my notes now. Hi, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs> she says hi. Um, with just asking about um, how did you develop the idea for this? Um, and did the development of the idea um, come from the current popularity of crystals? Um, or had you already started developing this idea before there was sort of the current boom and like interest in crystals and mystical things? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's a little bit of both because I, when I was a kid, I was like really obsessed with crystals. Right. Um, and I write about it a little bit in the book where like the Natural History Museum gift shop and the Natural History Museum like gem room was oh. like my favorite place in the whole world. and. I, I had sort of forgotten that this was a huge part of my childhood until this crystal metaphysical renaissance started happening. And when a lot of other people started getting into it, I was like, wait a second, I've always been into this. Like, I this liked always... this band before it was popular. Exactly, yeah. like this has been my jam for a long time. <laughs> and so I found, you know, some of my like old notebooks, old rock collections. I start and then, you know, wanted this around more because I, I had really had it a lot. Um, but I think as a kid, so much of my interest in it was just like, I thought rocks were cool. I thought it was very cool. <laughs> there were Same. all these different, yeah, they ruled that there are all these different yeah. crystals and they're all different colors and textures. And some of them were like, you know, you have metals, you have everything. It just seemed really interesting. Um, and I, and I didn't give a shit about the metaphysics. And this time around, I was more interested in, in right, these properties of why does a rose quartz mean love? Why does a amethyst, right. you know, bring balance and sobriety, whatever? And I, I think it just started on my own personal research, where I was like, I want to, I want to look up these myths that some people are alluding to, and these like ancient histories and and all of these things. Um, and I was constantly coming up against dead ends. You know, you you try to look more into. Uh, Right, that all these descriptions that were like, since the dawn of time, we've associated agate with like these things. And I'm like, what dawn of time, when, who is doing this association? Who said this? Cite your sources. <laughs> and just getting really frustrated that there was no, it, it was really hard to find those sorts of answers. So it started as a very practical project for me to find like, where these stories came from. Um, and then in finding that, becoming really interested in the question of like, why did we do this? Because like, as I, as I write in the book, I come from the position of like, all of these definitions are arbitrary. Like we, they're, they're totally made up. I do not think there are like secret vibrations in these rocks that are, you know, bringing you luck or money or the ability to speak more clearly or anything we did this we made all of this um so like why did we do that and 
I, I think in general that I was what I was trying to explore. <laughs> yeah, I love that about the book. And one of the things um, as I was going through it and making notes um, for this conversation that really struck me about it, and I think has always struck me about it since you were writing the essays for Catapult and um, since you were originally working on the book is that it's a book about belief that doesn't engage with belief on either side of the binary in which people often think belief exists, right? Yeah. That like you either wholeheartedly believe in something or like you're totally skeptical of it and you're debunking it. And obviously there are like many more ways to approach belief than that, but often people's feelings and more specifically writing about it tend to take one or the other like polarized stance on it. Yeah. And I love that Crystal Clear doesn't do that um, that it kind of holds space for like a lot of skepticism and like a lot of engagement with mythos and with like spiritual vibrational woo-woo ideas. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think the book regards it as woo-woo, but um, that like might be regarded that way. <laughs> um, and uh, so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the role of um, belief with the particular crystals that you talk about. There. Yeah, and because I, right, I really do think for a lot of people, and it took me a long time to learn this, that it is not that binary. Like I definitely yeah. grew up in a situation like, you know, I, I was like mean teenage atheist for a long time. Same. I was, yeah. <laughs> I, I was there roll, rolling up into chat rooms and being like, hey, do you know God isn't real? Like, woo, and leaving. And you know, and and I still like I I do not think of myself as adhering to like a a specific spiritual belief, but I think the idea of spirituality started interesting me in becoming interesting to me as I got older, of just like okay, well like everyone does this, so many people do this in this right. ways that exist outside of organized religion, and I viewing it as some, as something not that has been handed to us by a, an outer power but something that we created i think really in yeah um and and so i think that's a lot of it and i think there are a lot of people who recognize that this is something we create and that doesn't take away meaning from it um, I, I mean, sure, there are plenty of people who have their crystals and do believe that they are, you know, channeling higher powers, that they are getting in touch with energies that, you know, exist outside of humanity and guide humanity. And that's wonderful. And like, I do not want to take that away from anybody. But also just in sort of even my anecdotal research, I think there are a lot of people who are like, I know this is just a rock. I know this is yeah. just pink rock or a blue rock or a brown rock, but uh, I think it's pretty. And I have put this association into it. And so then whenever I hold it, whenever I put it at my desk, whenever I meditate with it, whenever I do something with it, I am extracting the power that like I know I put in there. Yeah, and and I think like more people are are very aware of what they're doing than I think a lot a lot of you know the the mean atheists or the mean hyper religious people like want to give them credit for, um, and I I think as a whole like you like we know when we do this on some level, um, 
And we know maybe it's a little silly and we know that it's arbitrary and we know we're not actually being handed some new strength or new power, but like everyone needs a reminder sometimes. Like everyone has a talisman that they use sometimes. It's, it's, it just seems really common. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I love about that is I think, you know, um, there are so many places in the book where you're using um, the crystals as less a um, means of belief than a means of permission. Um, yeah. And like some of the permission is to examine these really big topics. Um, oh. Like the Rose Quartz essay, for instance, or the Amber essay, like one of them is about like love and one is about death, which are like, you know, and they're like- <laughs> one, pretty big things you can right, go <laughs> like One of the essays is about change. Um, <laughs> and um, something I love is that those topics become at once complex and approachable in um, the way you write about them here. And I think that they are topics that are often either dismissed because they're sort of too enormous to approach or are can be approached in kind of hackneyed ways because like, oh, really, like we're talking about love or death. Like, yeah, it's what could be left <laughs> to say about that. And how do you think um, the using the crystals gave you a way into those sort of um, broader even intimidating topics yeah because i think right what i think that's actually one of the ways i, I love the way you put it of not of like giving permission in that yeah. way because I, I do think that for most people if you're just like all right today i'm gonna sit down and think about love and its <laughs> influence on my life or i'm going to think about death or i'm going to think about the concept of change and how i have no idea what may happen to me for the rest of my life. And you're gonna flip out, like you're gonna have a panic yeah. attack. Like this is, <laughs> this is too much for anybody to handle in one way. Yeah. And I think like literally one of the, the practical elements of a crystal and putting that power into something is that like, it's small, you can hold uh, it. Like it yeah. is something that represents these enormous ideas and yet here you have this little thing uh, on, on your desk, like on your side table or something that you can hold and feel, you know, for a second, like you have a bit of control over that or that you at least can enter this conversation without being totally overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a lot of it. And I, and I think that when, when these ideas become so overwhelming, it's like a first step in and giving yourself permission to just like access some thoughts, to think about things critically, to like take a moment and clear your mind and focus on something when, right, the, the scale of the thing feels like it's impossible to focus on. Right, yeah. And I love that there are a lot of essays in here that um, because they're looking at such big topics, um, you know, in the same way as the approach to belief, um, they don't necessarily come down on like one definitive side or another. <laughs> like the goal is to interrogate the idea. Like one of my favorite uh, pieces in here is the Black Tourmaline essay, um, which is so good and which, you know, uh, interrogates and critiques the ideas of self-care in our culture, which of course is another, at this point, kind of, form of mythos almost yeah um, and um and the idea of like toxicity and boundaries um and 
is able to, you know, really question um, some of the like set ideas that um, I think it's easy to just go along with, with those. And it seems like by using the crystal, you get to something that, um, that is much more interrogative and that is able to kind of stay with, you know, I feel unresolved things about this. And that's <laughs> yeah. where the essay ends up. Um, were there, did you struggle with that at all? Were there any crystals that you came in to writing about with like particular assumptions or um, that were like more difficult than others to Ooh. either because of the theme itself? That's a, that's a good question. I think the, the themes that I had a hard time with were just like, since, since a lot of these essays like do turn personal at certain right. points, it would be like the shit that I have a hard time with and that I need to talk to my therapist about. Right. <laughs> so it's like black tourmaline, like the idea of setting boundaries and when and where do we do that and how do we decide to do that and how do we balance our own needs versus the needs of people that we care about. Like yeah. this is a big topic for me and my therapist. And <laughs> I, I think writing that essay, what, you know, it was very difficult. And I, I remember feeling like I didn't want to come down on one side or the other. And now in retrospect, realizing how much of that is like me still having a hard time understanding what that means for myself. But I, I, I hope that is somewhat relatable or understandable because I think everyone to an extent goes through questions like that where you're like, you know, with your best friend, you're like, I love this person. I would die for them. They are wilding right now. And I <laughs> am having a hard time in something else. And like, we are at this impasse and it's like, do I keep giving all of myself to them? Because on level I want to, and I love them and I want to support them. Or do I say no? And then what'll happen if I say no? And, you know, yes, that'll be good for me. Will that be good for us? Will that be good for them? Like these are all of these things that happen with any of those decisions. And it's like so hard to, to figure that out, I think. And, um, you know, and, and Opal, the one that was about change um, was another that was really hard because yeah, this had to do with, um, you know, a, a new understanding of my own sexual orientation and like my partner's transition. And then all the other things that happen in life that maybe you did not plan for when you were nine. Um, and now it's great, but it's new and there's something intimidating about it. And like you, you don't know, uh, like you have not planned this path. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think there was a lot of it that was intimidating I, you know, really made me sit with like, what does this theme mean for me? Like, what is, um, like, what actually do I want to say about this? Or am I just reacting to this idea? Cause I'm freaking out right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I just like, which I'm, who knows if I'm supposed to do or not, who cares, right? No, you're great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, please do. <laughs> talking about like the impasse and like two people you love, I just like, cause, Personally, I'm going through something like that right now, but just oh. hearing you like put words to what I'm feeling like that is just like you're changing my life. You're changing my oh. life. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my god! My this I, is exactly like, what Jaya does. I like, <laughs> 
on the Zoom and be like, let's talk. Let's, let's have <laughs> oh, oh my God. I'm and like, it's like, <laughs> no, it's so, it's so hard because I think like, especially with that, and I, and I know that Black Tourmaline has been an essay that a lot of people have connected to. And I, I think for those reasons, because like, you know, we sort of went as a, as like a mainstream culture being like boundaries, what are those? Nobody's ever said that word before 2011. And then, you know, all of a sudden you get this big mainstreaming of these ideas of self-care and boundaries and like, uh, you know, what, what was that meme text going around of like, are you in a place to hear like bad news or, you know, all of these right, yeah. things. And, you know, obviously like the, the impetus behind it, this idea, the broad idea of like, hey, you should take care of yourself is a very good one. And I think that we got all of this language and, and we got all of these ideas and very few deeper guides on like how to actually do that. And I think a lot of people like did a 180 there and was just like, that's it. I'm setting every single boundary. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not responding to a single text message. And that's because I love myself. And it's like, that's not <laughs> it either. Like that's not how you should, or like, you know, the, the, this very transactional nature of like treating yeah. your friend as like a therapist or assuming that anytime your friend needs you, it's like, well, that is my labor. And it's like, that's not labor. That's just your friend. Right. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know if I, I'm like, are friends hobbies? I don't necessarily think so, but it's not labor. And so this very, um, you know, everyone sort of went this other direction and it's like, whoa, 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 wait, that's not what we need either. Please, can we come back and find some sort of middle ground here? And I think yeah. is like really trying to figure out what that middle ground is and, it, and it's different for everyone and it's very hard. Um, I'm but you, I'm quitting this yeah. job, I'm joining, <laughs> whatever like, whatever like commune, whatever like, <laughs> like Wiccan support group you want to make. I Look, this is the next step, right? Same. I got to start yeah. a crystal cult. Like if are we 100%. doing- 100%. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so sorry to like get in this, but like you guys are just- No, this is- <laughs> Oh my God, no, stay. <laughs> I, I will stay. Listen, don't invite me. Don't like- <laughs> I'm here now. Oh my God. <laughs> so and that- <laughs> That actually relates to the next thing I wanted to ask, um, which was just about like personal narrative writing and first person writing, which is something we both do and something you and I have talked about a lot. Um, and I really admire the way you approach that here um, because you know you mentioned the Opal essay, which I love and which is so personal and yet the personal is Part of it and is not even like the majority of the text in it, even though it and really all of the essays, but I'm thinking of that and the Pearls essay where you talk about sex and um, ideas of innocence and um, sort of myths around virginity. Um, and, you know, all of that, those topics are very vulnerable and very personal in the same way that. Um, everything you talk about with sexuality and with change um, in the Opal chapter is, you know, very personal. And there are lots of other examples in the other essays <laughs> and um, that you manage to approach these things that are really quite vulnerable 
but in a way where like, you know, it's still, feel, now I have the word boundaries in my head. It still <laughs> feels boundary in a positive way. Like it's still, um, it feels very intentional how you thread those into the essays. And you were mentioning that thing of like, that I think is a lot in being someone who writes uh, first person narrative stuff about like, what is for my therapist? And yeah. what is for my writing? <laughs> like maybe there's some Venn diagram overlap, but like there are also some categories that don't overlap. Um, and like, how do you navigate that in um, a work that is, you know, partly personal, but it's not, but certainly incorporates a lot of yeah. um, other approaches? You know, I think some of it is, I like realizing early on that that had to be something to navigate because I, I realized that I had, I can totally like blather on about myself all day and assume that everyone will find it endlessly fascinating. And so <laughs> learning at some point, like, <laughs> not everyone knows who you are or gives a shit. And so you're going to have to, uh, I think essentially, you know, it maybe is as easy as step one, keeping the reader in mind of just being like, this is not you talking to your friends necessarily who want to know about you. This right. is talking to somebody who does not know your life you, or only knows what you're going to tell them. So what would actually interest somebody who is not already like emotionally invested in you? Yeah. Um, so I think that's certainly part of it. Um, you know, in terms of talking about myself um, or telling personal stories, uh, there are limits to when they involve other people. Um, and so, you know, certainly there are parts of this book uh, where I'm telling a story that involves me and another person where like, I approached the other person and was saying, hey, I'm going to be writing about this. Is this okay? Whatever. Um, but I still was not interested in like airing anybody else's dirty laundry or being like, hey, now this story about the two of us is in, or the three of us is in this book. Um, so I, I think trying to sit with the personal stories I wanted to tell and being like, what does this... <laughs> Helena, you and I have talked a lot about scenes in terms of personal <laughs> essay writing and sort of being like, what does this scene, what do I want this scene to accomplish? Who does it serve? Is this just to be able to tell people that I had this experience? Um, and if so, that probably uh, serves nobody but me. Um, yeah. And so trying, trying to think of like, what is the actual story or lesson that comes out of this scene? And how can I tell that in a way that essentially limits as much as possible um, the details that I give about myself or the details that I give about another person? Because ultimately it sort of doesn't matter in a lot of these things where I was, who I was with, what exactly we said, anything. What matters is like what came out of this interaction. Yeah, um, totally. And so I think trying trying to think of anything personal along those lines um, and like what that bit serves. Um, but then yeah, a healthy amount of just like before you write anything with the pronoun I, please think about whether you are just trying to sound cool to other people. <laughs> like this so is so important. <laughs> this is 
It's like big, big red alert over all of that. <laughs> should be like a, I should put like a sign that says that above my computer. <laughs> that is merch. It's, like 100%. It really is. It's yeah. like, I, I feel like you have all of those, you, it goes around like all those tweets that goes around. It's like, should this book be an essay? Should this essay be a tweet? And should this tweet be something to the group chat where it's right. really like, should, should I just be text someone? bragging to my friends being like hey remember that time that this happened to me (laughs) can I tell you a cool story can I just tell you a cool story to get it out of my system so I can go back to doing my job like (laughs) so I feel like that definitely happens sometimes while writing this book (laughs) that's good life advice (laughs) oh my god I was just gonna say there's that like I don't know if either of you have ever seen this I feel like it goes around like literary internet or used to a few years ago more than it does now but there was that like famous like packing list that I think like Joan Didion had that like people were obsessed with for a while and like four of the 10 items are cigarettes and like you know it's like very (laughs) cool girl um and I feel I once like met somebody who had that printed out and like pasted to the back of their front door and I feel like I need to do that with that tweet instead. Yeah. Just like paste <laughs> it up around parts of my house with little yeah. check boxes. Like, oh, is yeah. it an essay? Is it a tweet? <laughs> is it a text to the group chat? It's probably a text to the group text chat. Text to the group chat, right. Do, is this something you tell your therapist? Is this yeah. something you just like? <laughs> no, there, there's so many different instances of this and so many people who get, get into hot water when they mistake one for the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the same line as like, the Bechdel test, like in, this is like the Saxena test. Like you have to like, (laughs) this should be in every like writer's writer's program. Like I'm telling you, this is 100%. Yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) Such good advice. Do I have time for one more question? So I I'm not even like paying attention to the time because I'm just like (laughs) time for as many more questions as you want. I'm honestly wonderful. This is I could do this forever. Um, uh, Are there any? I was sort of going to ask if, in general, has your relationship to crystals changed as as you've written the book? Like, are there any particular gemstones, crystals that like? you didn't really have a relationship to before this where your relationship to them changed or got stronger or just the nature of it changed are you sick of crystals entirely (laughs) and like oh my god i never want to see one again like how is your relationship either to them in general or to particular crystals definitely after i it's like after i turned in the book i definitely Mm -hmm. went through a period where i'm just like and now I've said everything I wanted to say about crystals, goodbye. <laughs> and then the, the book actually was published and people started asking me again. I'm like, why are you asking? I wrote it. I like this. <laughs> it's good. Uh, and, you know, f- feeling just a little like crystalled out. I think that, that what happened, um, I think when I, I mean, I obviously have like my huge collection of, of crystals and, you know, sometimes I'll be on a phone call or something and I'll like pick up one and I'll walk around and I'll have it in my hand and it's really nice. And I like just aesthetically love having them around. Like this is how mm-hmm. I am choosing to decorate my apartment. Um, I think the ones that I have more of a connection with now are like crystals and, and gems that have more of a like 
that I've inherited from family members oh, wow. and things yeah. that I have more of like that sort of personal relationship to. Um, like my, my grandmother gave me um, an amethyst pendant and recently she gave me a turquoise pendant um, that was a piece of turquoise that my, my grandfather had bought in Iran in the 70s. And, you know, was telling me the story about getting it. And I was like, wow, I really love this. Um, my aunt gave me an opal ring recently. And the opal had come from my great grandmother's hat pin. And then she had like put the opal into a ring with some other stones. Um, you know, I, I have a couple pieces of jewelry that are like, heirlooms that and, and I, I write about in the book one of the ones that I have is that my engagement ring was right. actually my great grandmother's engagement diamond that then she had passed on to my aunt and then my aunt gave to me and then when my partner and I were getting married I gave them the diamond and was like make a ring out of this and so it's like this family stone and so I think like that is where I've like noticed my attention and energies being, which makes a ton of sense, right? Like if we've decided that these are all slightly arbitrary meanings, um, you know, this amethyst doesn't necessarily mean something because it has like, you know, right, specific metaphysical vibrations. This amethyst means something because it was given to me by my grandmother. And like, this is what she said when she gave it to me. And this is what I think about now. Um, I think about her and I think about her life and I think about the things that I've learned from her when I wear it. Yeah. And, um, you know, that seems to me really powerful. And, and I think I get into it a little bit in the book, but I, I think at this point I've like bought so many crystals in my life. I do not need to like <laughs> buy any more, but you know, if I'm, if I'm gifted something or, one crystal that I really love was one that I like found on the beach and just thought was particularly beautiful. And now every time I hold it, I think about like how I was feeling that day and what was going on in my life that day. And, you know, that to me feels very powerful. Um, and, you know, I, I could have picked up a shell. I could have picked up uh, an entire dead horseshoe crab. Like I could have, you know, whatever, and maybe had the same associations. So it's really, um, you know, yeah, just, just looking for those emotional connections into an object, which is what a lot of this is about. And, you know, yeah, we make emotional connections with objects all the time. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's it's so romantic because I'm like, I'm like, in the <laughs> Right you know? there with you. Right? Oh my god! But you know what I keep thinking about in terms of like emotional connections with objects. Like, do you remember that old IKEA commercial? Oh about my god! I talk about this commercial. Wait, is it the, the one time. with the lamp? The one with the lamp, and and I think I literally think Michelle Gondry directed it. Like, cut he that did. if I'm yeah. wrong. Yeah, that's totally accurate. And it's literally like this sad lamp that's been put on the sidewalk because it's broken or it's old and its head is looking back into the window of the apartment it came from where a new lamp is in the window and is on and it's raining and it's warm inside there and then there's this voiceover being like you're so stupid it's just a lamp it doesn't have any emotions (laughs) like like there's and it's specifically like this because like Ikea, right? This like big, like Swedish man voice comes in yeah. and it's like, <laughs> why do you feel so sad about the lab? It has no feelings and the new one is better. Yeah, um, exactly. I may or may not have this commercial memorized because I talk about it in terms of like 
exactly this, like how we love things like all the and this, time. And yeah. this is exactly what is going on with crystals. It's like, we, right. we love the lamp, even though we know that it has no feelings <laughs> and other things may be better. It does not oh, matter. I feel um, like and <laughs> are so great when they're gifted to you too, for that reason. Yeah. Like, I have like a piece of amethyst that a friend's mom who like I stayed with for a bit gave to me. And like, every time I look at it, I just like, I'm like, and I haven't talked to this friend in a second, but I just like, it makes me feel connected to this friend in a way that like, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, you guys. Cause, oh, cause I was thinking of that. Like, I think that's what the whole book is really about. Right. Is that how we like, um, put meaning onto things that don't necessarily carry inherent meaning themselves, but that meaning becomes genuinely powerful, becomes like a material real thing because we do it every time we interact with that object. And yeah. so it like genuinely, and that's also what heirlooms are, right? Yeah. Um, like, I don't really, like, I don't really have crystals, but I have a number of like objects that my mom has given me that are from like generations back in her family. And she has this like very fraught relationship with her family. So like they were already imbued with those meanings for her. And then she's told those stories to me. Um, and I think that like so many, this is gonna sound real cheesy, but like I've gotten to this. <laughs> no, I'm ready, I'm, I'm ready. Go ahead with it. But like many things that are not crystals also function as crystals in the way that you present crystals in the book, which I think is like such a wonderful way to let people into them. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, like absolutely. We come up with our own associations or have these associations passed down to us like all the time. Yeah, like totally. I, you know, I have clothing that I've inherited from my mom that I'll never not associate with like <laughs> some story story she told about like the first time she wore that dress. And, right. Yeah. You know, every like these are and and it's just like. Yeah, it's just like a physical thing that we get to put these ideas and memories and these very right. ethereal things onto. And yeah. I, I think that helps so many people, you know, treat these ideas as real. Like if you have a solid physical thing, it suddenly is turning. And like we were talking about before, these ideas as big as love and death and purity and, you know, about like, who has the ability to even comprehend something that big um, or yeah, just the idea of a memory and, and makes it literally tangible. Right. So, and I yeah. think that's sort of what you express about both your relationship to crystals and their popularity now and at other times yeah. that we need a place to put these feelings about memory, change, sexuality, family, love, death, like glamour, and this is like literally, as you're saying, like a small object into which we can kind of like shove all of those feelings and then they're tangible and then they're approachable. Do you think yeah. that's like the spirituality behind the crystals too? I mean, like you probably yeah. don't know the answer to this and I'm just like, <laughs> like, wait, it's like, I'm like seeing the matrix now. I'm like, yes. Words are just, kind of, <laughs> just coming at me. But is that like the spirituality, the putting the meaning in the history and like your own emotions into this objects and passing it on? I, I think in a way, yeah, because I mean, far be it for me to to speak about, you know, religion or spirituality in any sort of, like I am in no way an expert. This is not something that I've practiced, but from from what I've gathered, 
it, it functions a lot of the same way in like more organized spaces where like, I, I at least remember from my grandmother, um, you know, if she was singing a certain hymn um, or, you know, my other grandmother who is Hindu, like she had a shrine room in her house. And she always told me that one of the statues that was in there um, of Krishna was not, it wasn't that she believed in Krishna and was talking to Krishna, is that that statue had been passed down in her family for generations. And so this was a place for her to like have that remembrance. Mm -hmm. Or my grandmother who was singing the hymns, like there's certain ones were her favorites because they reminded her of like certain other family members or times in her life where she had heard them or, you know, just it, it takes right this big idea into being like, here are eight bars you can sing and to, to sort of feel that idea in a limited amount of time and space and take care of that. Um, so I, I think that there are a lot of other spiritual practices that, that rely on that, that same sort of interaction between yeah, taking something, taking an idea, taking a feeling and making it tangible or making it something that you can, you can handle in a short amount of time or a, a small amount of physical space. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, as like a person raised in like a black Baptist family, mm -hmm. I like, in like, I'm not Baptist myself. I'm very like agnostic, whatever, something, something. But um, <laughs> like, like those, songs like uh, people everyone knows that black baptist hymns are like so like important to the community and like i make friends who are like also black and raised in baptist who are like or or atheist or agnostic but those hymns mean so much to us that we'll like start singing it together and yeah. like exactly memories. yeah and also i love that you say you have no like authority to be speak up uh spirituality or whatever when you're like my new high priestess now like this <laughs> <laughs> is also how i feel about you yeah yeah, you get it. You're like, she's like, what do you mean? You're, you're my spiritual guide. Like, I should mention here, and perhaps this is uh, outside the uh, the range of the podcast, but it feels relevant to mention that Jaya also once gave me a tarot reading that like took my life apart. Um, <laughs> like, I have it saved in like a very small album of photos in my phone so that like I can go back to it easily. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like we like we're reading our like writer group had like dissolved into you reading tarot for me and Jess um and then, like great. Right, that it was perfect and wonderful um and then like I had to like go do something else that evening and hours later I was trying to tell my husband about it and I just like broke down in tears oh. it was like so <laughs> incisive and accurate um so I also love and I actually do to bring it back to the book think that the book sort of holds that dichotomy of not thinking of yourself or experiencing um yourself as someone who is like spiritual um necessarily but having this incredible fluency in a lot of somewhat mystical languages or approaches yeah and I think it's something too about being um a, a writer where, you know, right, I, I do not think I have any particular spiritual connection to anything, but I hope that as a writer and over the years that I have developed my career, um, that 
I hope that I am a somewhat insightful person. Like if not, then clearly I'm not doing my job well because that is the point of a lot of what I do is to like provide different insight or a different point of view on something. And I, I think there is not uh, the, the space between those two ideas is like not so wide. Um, or I, I think that what a lot of people are are searching for, no matter what they call it, um, is is insight onto their into their lives and yeah. what they should do, or just insight into their own feelings. Because I, I think like, God, it's taken me long enough to realize like how many of my own feelings and thought processes processes are just such a mystery to me. And <laughs> You, to becoming aware of like your own self. And yeah. I, and I think that right crystals can, you know, they're a tool like anything else that you can use to, to try to create those connections. Um, and like tarot too. Um, I, and I remember that reading and what was so fun is that it's like, I don't think I could have done that to just anybody, but like, right. I know you and you're my friend. And so when I see these things, I know what I can talk about with you because I know like, what you're going through and so like everyone needs right just slightly like a, a a way to stand outside of themselves for a second yeah uh, and then get back in and i think yeah. like crystals are one of right like many many tools that anybody can use to like do that yeah i oh my god i <laughs> spiritually i'm awakened uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, Helena, question for you though, which is <laughs> so like, I'm sorry, I'm, this is- No, I'm be. so excited for this. This is great. When you were reading it, did like your tarot card reading that happened before come back to you throughout it? Like, did it like open it up even more? You mean reading the book? Oh yeah. You were oh, what? absolutely. Yeah, no question. <laughs> Cause I think that like, you know, also conversations I've had with Jaya came back, but I think that in particular, um, cause it was what I loved about that reading and what kind of took me apart with it was that you were saying like, here's where things are unsolved. Mm -hmm. And like, it wasn't a reading that was like, here's what's gonna happen. It was like, here are the possibilities that exist. And you kind of taking your knowledge of tarot and your knowledge of me, cause we're friends and like reading that there. And I think it came back a lot through the book in part because you do that a lot in the book where you sort of you present things as like doorways rather than answers. Like we've grappled with this topic a lot and like now we're standing in this doorway with it. And like you kind of put your reader there and that was a lot how I felt with that tarot reading. That it was like, oh wow, I don't know the answer but like I sure do know what the question is more clearly <laughs> and like that's terrifying. I feel like half of that too, I mean like not to like Mm -hmm. please like continue to call me like an insightful <laughs> genius who is leading everybody to these beautiful doorways I feel like so much of that was just me not wanting to tell anybody how to live their lives because they didn't want to get yelled at if I got it wrong <laughs> well that is also so much of writing <laughs> yeah it's just like oh if I had an answer here 
I'm not going to give that to you because if it doesn't work for me, then it's my fault. And right. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. It's like, it's like you're a therapist without the like credentials but people are like, I'm looking for your advice. You're like, mm -hmm, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say that. It does feel like also that terrifying moment where at least I, in my experience, say something to my therapist and she's just like, just nods <laughs> at it and yeah. it's like oh you mean I'm supposed to do the work now yeah. like yeah and it's like oh did you just trick me into saying this yeah. you bitch yes, exactly, I don't know. <laughs> like, exactly no, that <laughs> no I have that with my like my like the therapist throughout my life where I've been like I'm like talking about the problem I have and then I'm like I but I probably should do a b or c and my therapist is like I'm like uh -huh. why am I saying you <laughs> I'm doing this <laughs> <laughs> Oh. You're like, excuse me, I don't hear a letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, in YouTube, this is a multiple choice. <laughs> I know. And I feel like so much of it can be infuriating because sometimes I'm just like, can you just give me some practical advice right now right. and what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, even though I know that's not the point yep. here. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And I think like, Right. You know, there, there are so many ways that everyone tries to go about having these, like, I, I feel like I've talked a lot about Helena with you and, and other things of crystals and therapy and anything being a tool to just literally trick yourself into yep. doing something that you know you have to do, but you didn't want to actually say it out loud. And mm -hmm. it's just, and, and I feel the same way about tarot and stuff. It's just like tricking you into admitting something that you already know but didn't want to confront because maybe it makes your life more complicated. Maybe you have to have a hard conversation. Maybe you have to stop doing something that you have actually enjoyed doing. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that doesn't just let you continue to live your life, you know, with whatever is thrown at you and, and you have to make active decisions and that sucks. Uh, but I, I think that there are a lot of times where you know, maybe we're in a position where we really know what we have to do and we know what the problem is and it's just so hard to say it and yeah. and that this is one of many ways you can you can just literally trick yourself into saying it and maybe pretending it came from another place. Sure, if that helps, but yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I love in at the end of the intro, you talk about and let me see if I can find this line. Um, but it's about crystals and power. Um, and um, I'm not gonna find the exact line and I'm gonna take <laughs> myself out of the conversation trying to, but you talk about like one of the things you wanna do is um, that even though, you know, it may not be that these stones literally have like magical properties themselves that you can still form a relationship to the power they have and therefore they still are powerful. And I felt like the distinction you were making there was the difference between the power that like, you know, sort of in, a, I'm trying not to sound pejorative, but like sort of in a fantasy world in like the sort of fantasy version of religion, like something outside yourself has power and it acts on you and you don't have to do anything and your life yeah. has changed. Um, and that's some of like the like holy, like mystical approach to crystals, to tarot, to 
God. Um, yeah. <laughs> and to get into big concepts. But I love that like over and over when you talk about the power of these stones, you're defining power as the fact that like they can lead you to make choices that you probably knew you had to make but would rather not make. Yeah. And like <laughs> that empowerment, if it exists, is not something that happens to you. It's often just like knowing you have to do a difficult thing and then doing it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I and I think there is, you know, obviously a great draw to that fantasy world where it's like, okay, cool, I'm going to have to do something difficult, um, but someone's just going to like tell me when that has right. to happen, right? <laughs> and so I'm just going to chill out here and then you like say something and then I'll go do it. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than like you having to make the decision to like get up and do it right. or to like, you know, I even think of like, you know, more like monotheistic texts where the, this idea of like God giving you a sign. Like yeah. how easy it would be for me to be like sitting on my couch, couch and being like, wow, that bush is on fire outside. That's super weird. Okay, I'm just gonna chill here and keep watching Bar Rescue. Like this, <laughs> you know, like how, how much- Hope somebody deals with that. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh damn, I'm sure someone's called the fire department already. So like, this isn't really my problem. Uh, <laughs> and and like how even, even, you know, something in a story like that requires you to be like, oh shit, I gotta deal with this. Like, yeah. and choosing to go deal with it. And and so I think, yeah, that that is a lot of, of this conversation about spirituality and intuition and choice, like, you know, it all winds up swirling together. Yeah, um, totally. And everyone can pick whatever side of it feels like, you know, helps them the most. But I, I, I think we're all dealing with sort of the same stuff and, yeah. and the same, I don't know, motivations and desires. Yeah. Like. It's so funny, <laughs> the burning bush imagery, because like literally the other day, I saw someone like a politician probably like commenting about how God, we need to like something about God in the little Nas X video that just came out. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I was just, they were just like, oh, so sinful. God wouldn't, what, uh, you need to look first of God. And I was just like, this God? And I posted a picture of a burning bush. And they're like, this, person, they're, this is the person you're talking about. This exactly. Bush. Oh, if, I, like, if I'm walking somewhere and I see a burning bush, I'm going to put it out one or just like be like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep walking. <laughs> I don't know. It's, um, oh. I have bad news because we have to wrap up and I just want to like keep this going on forever. But is there any last things both either of you want to say about the book or would you want to just say to the independent bookstore community or just oh. like you want to give me advice and be my new like i can be your apprentice and like like just follow you <laughs> um but that's for me that's for me <laughs> <laughs> oh well i mean like please pick up the book and please pick it up from skylight if you have the opportunity to the I mean, independent bookstore community yeah we were joking about this before with the independent bookstore community of just like I'm sorry this year has really sucked uh yeah. everybody has been trying to do the best they can and and thank you for trying <laughs> and I just really hope things are at a point where they're turning around um yeah yes yeah. 
this is basically, I have the same thing to say, like, thank you, because this year has been extremely hard um, for for everyone in, or most everyone in all kinds of different ways and like the independent bookstore community. Yeah. Uh, certainly that's hugely true. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry and thank you. And to everyone listening, um, this book is amazing. Um, it's like both a, a joyous read and like a wonderfully challenging and inspiring one and pick it up from Skylight if you can from your local independent bookstore. Um, yeah. Also, I just want to make a, a little like a footnote. Helena's cat was sitting on her <laughs> and she was just petting the entire time. So I was just like, this is, yes, 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 power. <laughs> like 100% like 1960s Bond villain, like yeah. energy. Like, yeah, like in a way that's like, that was my hero in the Bond movies where I was like. <laughs> Same, yeah. That's why I identified with. I was like, why is Bond, against this hero. This right. <laughs> <laughs> she does that for, speaking of therapy, for almost every call I'm on, including oh therapy. Yeah. So it's just like talking about deep emotions and then cat butt right yep. in the camera. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Keeping us honest. Beautiful. An icon. So, um, well, this has been the Skylight Books podcast. Uh, you can buy... Uh, both of your books, both of you have books that are- I do not. Oh no, Helena, yet. but your essays are on like- All over the internet. Minor essays, which I buy Jaya's book. It's so good, it's so it's great. So I'm good. like, this is gonna be like my gift to like all my friends now, so like- oh, It's a great you. gift book, <laughs> highly recommend. I'm so excited. Can we, Can is there, also can we plug your like social media? Cause I one wanna follow all, both of you cause I feel like you both are just have great energy. But- um. Oh. Yeah, where can we find yeah, you? Yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Jaya Sachs, J-A-Y-A-S-A-X. Um, Helena, plug your uh, stuff I'm, <laughs> Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at Hell Fitzgerald, H-E-L Fitzgerald, all one word. I'm on Instagram at Hella Fitzgerald, um, which tells you I'm from California. Um, and uh, I have a Substack newsletter that is... Uh, essays about love, essentially weird essays Wonderful. about love. It's and, so uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, that was selfishly me being like, how can I find them? But yeah, that was, the, that was for me. <laughs> uh, no, this has been a fantastic podcast. Again, I keep saying this. Uh, I had thank you for also allowing me to be in this conversation. Oh my god, this is yes, so lovely. Thank you. For thank joining. you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you made my day. I cried and laughed. I loved. This is that's all you need. So yes. again, listeners, buy their book. Buy Jaya's book. Follow buy Helena book. on Substack. Um, and feel that love I felt today. Um, thank you again. You guys, everyone have a great rest of your day. To all my beautiful listeners, you know I love you all. So thank you. And go out and buy a crystal. Go out and buy a crystal for yourself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Literally treat yourself. This is... <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, I see.